Welcome to A Crash Investigation, the podcast, where we dissect the most memorable and forgotten air crashes in aviation history. In our first episode, we'll be talking about the biggest and deadliest air crash in history, the crash in Tenerife. I hope you're excited as I am. So without wasting any more time, let us get into it. First, let's go through the KLM Flight 4805. This was a charter flight for Holland International Travel Group and arrived from Amsterdam Airport. The aircraft was a Boeing 747-206B and was named Rang. The aircraft was carrying 235 passengers and 14 crew members. Majority of the passengers were Dutch, but there were four Germans, two Austrians, and two Americans on board. The cockpit consisted of Captain Jakob Veltezen van Zantan, who was 50 years old at the time of the crash. He was KLM's chief flight instructor and had amassed 11,700 flight hours with 1,547 hours on the 747. The first officer was Klaas Mears, who was 42 at the time of his death, and had 9,200 flight hours with 95 hours on the 747. Finally, there was a flight engineer by the name of Willem Schrauder, 48, who had 17,031 flight hours with 543 hours on the 747. So, as you can tell, they were a capable bunch. The other airplane involved was Pan Am Flight 1736. The aeroplane came from Los Angeles International Airport and had a detour to New York's JFK International Airport to collect more passengers. This aircraft was also a Boeing, but it was a 747-121 and was nicknamed Clipper Victor. The 747-121 was used at the inaugural 747 commercial flight on January 22, 1970 during its first year of service and became the first 747 aircraft to be hijacked en route between JFK and Luis Munoz Marine International Airport in San Juan, Puerto Rico. The Pan Am flight carries 380 passengers, including 14 passengers who boarded in New York. The cockpit crew was changed at JFK International Airport and was replaced by Captain Victor Grubbs, who was 56 and had gained 21,043 flight hours in total and 546 hours on the 747. First Officer Robert Bragg, who was 39 and had amassed a total of 10,800 flight hours and 2,796 hours on the 747. And finally, we have Flight Engineer George Wands, who was 46 and had amassed 15,210 flight hours and 559 hours on the 747. They also had 13 flight attendants. Both flights were scheduled to land in Gran Canaria Airport in Gran Canaria, which is an island in Spain. Then on the day of the crash, which is the 27th of March 1977, a bomb was planted by the separatist Canary Islands Independence Movement. It exploded at the terminal of Gran Canaria Airport and it injured eight people. 
There were claims that there was another bomb, so the civil aviation authorities diverted all incoming flights to Los Rodeos Airport. Pan Am Flight 1736 decided to be placed in a holding pattern until landing clearance was given as they had enough fuel for two more hours of flying. As soon as they decided to be placed in a holding pattern, they were then ordered to go to Tenerife Airport. Los Rodeos Airport is a regional airport that could not accommodate all of the traffic as they only had one runway and one major taxiway running parallel to it. This airport had short taxi, four short taxiways connecting the two. While waiting for Gran Canaria Airport to reopen, the diverted planes took so much space that they were parking on the taxiway, therefore making it unavailable for taxiing. Authorities eventually reopened Gran Canaria Airport and Pan Am Flight 1736 was ready to depart from Tenerife. Or, however, they could not because the runway was obstructed by KLM Flight 4805 and a refueling vehicle. The KLM captain decided to refuel in Los Rodeos instead of Las Palmas Airport to apparently save time. Pan Am Flight 1736 could not maneuver around the KLM due to a lack of safety clearance between the two planes, which is about 3.7 meters or 12 feet. The air traffic control tower instructed KLM Flight 4805 to taxi down the entire length of the runway, then make a 180 degree turn to get into takeoff position. The air traffic controller then asked the flight crew to report when it was ready to copy air traffic control clearance. The flight crew was performing the checklist, thus the clearance was postponed until the aircraft was in takeoff position. Pan Am Flight 1736 was instructed by air traffic controller to follow the KLM down the same runway but exit the runway by taking the third exit on their left and then use the parallel taxiway. The Pan Am crew was unclear and confused as to whether the air traffic controller said to take the first or the third one. As a result, they were just waiting on the taxiway, which is parallel to the runway that KLM flight 4805 was on. As a result, the crew asked for clarification and the controller responded empathetically by saying, and I quote, the third one, sir, one, two, three, third one, end quote. The crew began to taxi and proceeded to identify the unmarked taxiway by using the map given by the airport. The angle of the third taxiway required the plane to do a 148 degree turn, which would lead back towards the still crowded main apron. The plan was that Pan Am Flight 1736 was supposed to make another 140-degree turn at the end of taxiway C3. They were then supposed to continue taxiing towards the start of the runway, which is similar to the mirrored letter Z. Taxiway C4 needed two 35-degree turns. After lining up, KLM Captain Veltazen advanced the throttles and the aircraft started to move forward. First Officer Mears advised that air traffic control clearance had not been given. The controller gave instructions that specified the route and the aircraft was to follow after takeoff. This did not include the statement that they were clear for takeoff. 
The controller could not see the runway due to fog and initially responded with, okay. This reinforced the KLM captain's misinterpretation that they, would, they had takeoff clearance. A simultaneous radio call from the Pan Am airplane caused mutual interference on the radio frequency. This caused a three second long sound in the KLM cockpit, which caused the KLM crew to miss the crucial portion of the tower's response. Due to fog, neither crew was able to see the other on the runway ahead of them. Neither crew could be seen from the control tower and to make matters worse, the airport was not equipped with ground radar. The Pan Am captain, Captain Grubbs, could see the KLM landing lights through the thick fog just as his plane approached exit C4. Captain Grubbs then applied full power to the throttles and then made a sharp left turn towards the grass in an attempt to avoid the imminent danger. KLM Flight 4805 was already too fast to stop. The pilots of the KLM aircraft prematurely rotated the plane and tried to lift off, which created a 22-meter or 72-feet tail strike. The KLM 747 was within 100 meters or 330 feet of the Pan Am and was moving at 140 knots, which is about 260 kilometers an hour or 160 miles per hour, when it eventually took off. The nose landing gear did not hit the Pan Am aeroplane, but the left side engines, lower fuselage, and the main landing gear hit the upper right side of the Pan Am's fuselage, which ripped the Pan Am jet almost directly above the wing. The KLM's right side engines crashed through the Pan Am's upper deck, which is behind the cockpit. The KLM then remained airborne for a short period of time before going into a store when some of the broken off materials were sucked in by the inner lift engine. The aeroplane then rose sharply and hit the ground 150 meters or 500 meters past the initial crash and slid down the runway a further 300 meters or 1000 feet. With a fuel with a full load of fuel, sorry, which caused the earlier delay, ignited immediately into a fireball that could not be contained for several hours after the crash. 61 people from the Pan Am aeroplane survived. This group of people included the captain, first officer, and flight engineer. One of the survivors said, and I quote, we all settled back. And the next thing an explosion took place and the whole port side, left side of the plane, was just torn wide open, end quote. They also added that by sitting by the nose of the plane, that saved their life. All 248 passengers and crew on the KLM plane died. 335 passengers died to the fire explosions which was caused by the fuel spill which ignited on impact. The survivors walked out of the plane and walked onto the left wing, which was still intact and was further away from the collision. They escaped through the holes of the fuselage. Pan Am's engines were still running after the accident, despite First Officer Bragg's intention to switch them off. The top part of the cockpit, which is where the engine switches are located, had been destroyed in the collision and all the control lines were severed leaving no method to control the aircraft systems. 
The crash survivors waited for rescue, but the emergency personnel did not come to them directly as they did not know that there were two aircrafts involved, and as a result, concentrating on the KLM plane, which was hundreds of meters away in thick fog and smoke. Because they were in because they were terrified, most of the survivors dropped to the ground below. In the aftermath of this disaster, blame was put on the Canary Islands Independence Movement for bombing Grand Canaria Airport, which started the chain of events that led to the disaster. The Canary Islands Independence Movement, however, denied responsibility for the accident. While the investigation was taking place, there were different rumors and speculation as to who caused the accident. The most probable cause was human error, such as the fact that Captain Valtazen was a training captain and instructor for over 10 years, but had not flown on regular, on regular routes 12 weeks prior to the accident. There was also an apparent hesitation of the flight engineer and the first officer to challenge the KLM Captain Valtazen further due to his seniority in rank and him being one of the most respected pilots working for KLM at the time. The flight engineer was the only KLM crew member to react to air traffic control's instruction to, and I quote, report when runway clear, end quote. This might have been due to him having to complete his pre-flight checks, whereas his colleagues were experiencing an increased workload just as visibility worsened. The Alpha study group con concluded that the KLM crew did not realize that the transmission and I quote, Papa Alpha was directed to the Pam KL the Pan Am Cruisari because this was the first and last time that the Pan Am was referred to as Papa Alpha as previously Pan Am was referred to as Clipper which was its proper call sign. The extra fuel taken by the KLM also added several factors. Factors such as the fact that takeoff was delayed by an extra 35 minutes which allowed fog to settle in. Another factor is that over 40 tons of additional weight was added to the aircraft, which increased the takeoff distance and thus make it more difficult to clear Pan Am aeroplane when taking off. Finally, the fuel increased the severity of the fire, which ultimately ended the lives of all those on board the KLM. At the end of the investigation, the causes of the accident are Captain Valtazen of KLM Flight 4805's attempt to take off without clearance as a way to comply with KLM's duty time regulations. Another cause was that low visibility which was caused by the fog. The third cause was the interference from simultaneous radio transmissions. The following factors were considered contributing factors but not critical. The use of ambiguous non-standard phrases by the KLM's co-pilot such as, and I quote, we are at takeoff, end quote, and the Tenerife controls tower, and I, <laughs> okay. The fact that the Pan Am aircraft had not left the runway at the third intersection, and the fact that the airport was forced to accommodate a great number of large aircraft due to the rerouting of the Grand Canaria terrorist incident, which resulted in the disruption of normal use of the taxiways. Then, of course, since if you do not know, KLM is owned by the Dutch, and the Dutch 
were reluctant to accept the Spanish report, which blamed the KLM captain for the accident. The Netherlands Department of Civil Aviation published that while they were accepting the KLM captain had taken off and I quote, prematurely, they argued that he alone shouldn't have been blamed for the end I quote, mutual understanding, end quote, that occurred between the controller and the KLM crew. There were also limitations of using radio as a means for, of communication and that should have been given greater consideration. In particular, the Dutch responded. The Dutch response pointed out that the crowded airport had placed additional pressures on all parties, including the KLM and Panam cockpit crews and the controller. They also added that the sounds on the CVR suggested that during the accident, the Spanish-controlled tower crew had been listening to a soccer match on the radio and may have been distracted. Transmission from the tower in which the controller passed the KLM, their ATC clearance was ambiguous and could have been interpreted as also giving takeoff clearance. Messages weren't audible to the control tower or KLM crew due to simultaneous cross communication. The Pan Am had taxied beyond the third exit and had the plane turned at the third exit as instructed, the collision would have not occurred. The Dutch authorities were reluctant to blame the KLM captain, but the airline accepted responsibility for the accident. As a result, the KLM company paid the victim's family's compensation, which was between 58,000 to 600,000 US dollars, or 248,000 to 2.6 million US dollars today. That was adjusted for inflation. So what have we learned from this crash? Well, we have learned that civil aviation authorities in the case of a terrorist bombing or situation such as that, they still need to reduce the amount of workload given to air traffic control and airports as a whole. We have also learned that they need to create and establish clear communication between the controller and the crew. Also, for pilots, they need to alert the controller if they are lost and confused to avoid another accident. We also need to recognize the deterioration of weather and what to do in those situations. And finally, we have learned and we have introduced the use of ground radar to track aircrafts which are either missing, lost or just to try and avoid another accident. But that is it. That is our first episode in the bag. I hope you guys enjoyed it and I hope you guys learned something. Um, if you do want to like give me any suggestions, you can just DM me at that girl Z T H A T G I R L Z E E Y. No, there are two three E's at oh my gosh, at T H A T G I R L Z E E E Y. Yes, you can also find me on YouTube at that girl C and on Twitter at simply XCC with four Y's. Sorry, sorry, I'm just nervous. I'm just nervous. But yes, that is the end. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope I'll see you next week as we are going to be full forcing and going through more crashes in history. Thank you so much for listening and I will catch you next week.